going to come and talk to us about John chapter 21, 1 through 14. Everybody say, God bless Brother Tim Williams. God bless you too. John chapter 21, the final chapter of the Gospel of John. Been very interesting covering all this. John 21, we're going to read 1 through 15. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wide showed himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples. Simon Peter said unto him, I go fishing. They say unto him, we go with thee. They went forth, entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But the, when the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, children, have ye any meat? They answered, no. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of the fishes. Therefore the disciples whom Jesus loved said unto P Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he girded his fisher coat upon him, for he was naked, and he cast himself into the sea. Decided to go skinny dipping, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and the other disciples came in a, a little ship for they were not far from land but as it were 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes as soon then they were come to land and saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread Jesus said unto them bring of the fish which ye now have caught Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes and 153 for all there were so many yet the net wasn't broken Jesus said unto them come and dine Makes me think of that song we sang a lot growing up. Right. And none of the, the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh, taketh bread, giveth, giveth them, and fish likewise. Now, this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me more than these? He said unto them, Yea. Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto them, feed my lambs. And then he, of course, went on to say, feed my sheep. And many other things. Now, the average reader would conclude that John completed his book with the dramatic testimony of Thomas. And the reader would wonder why John added another chapter. The main reason is the Apostle Peter. John's a close associate in the ministry. John did not want to end his gospel without telling his readers that Peter was restored to his apostleship. Apart from the information in this chapter, we would wonder why Peter was so prominent in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. John had another purpose in mind. He wanted to refute the foolish rumor that had spread around the believers that, that you know, John would live until the return of the Lord. John made it clear that the Lord's words had been greatly misunderstood. I think John may have had another purpose in mind. He wanted to teach us how to relate to the risen Christ. During the 40 days be between his resurrection and ascension, our Lord appeared and disappeared at will, visiting with the disciples and preparing them for the coming of the Holy Ghost and their future ministries. They never knew when he would appear, so they had to stay alert. The fact that he may return for his people today ought to keep us on our toes. It was an important time for the disciples because they were about to take his place in the world and begin to carry the message to others. And I see in this chapter three pictures of the believer and a responsibility attached to each picture. One thing to realize is we are fishers of men, and we are to obey him. Right. Remember that Sunday school song, how God would make us fishers of men? The Lord had instructed his disciples to meet him in Galilee, which helps to explain why they were at the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. The Romans, of course, called it the Sea of Tiberias after their Caesars. But John did not explain why Peter decided to go fishing. And Bible scholars are not in agreement in their suggestions. Some claim that he was 
perfectly when it's when, within his rights, that he needed to pay his bills, and the best way to get money was to go fishing. Why sit around idle? Get busy. Others believe Peter had been called from that kind of life and that it was wrong for him to return to it. Furthermore, when he went fishing, Peter took six other men with him. If he was wrong, then they were wrong too. And it's a sad thing when a believer leads others astray, of course. But by the way, it's interesting that at least seven of the twelve disciples probably were fishermen anyhow. And why did Jesus call so many fishermen to follow him? For one thing, fishermen are courageous, and Jesus needs brave people to follow him. They're also dedicated to one thing and cannot be easily distracted. Fishermen do not quit. And we're talking about professional fishermen, not, not people that just go down to the creek and relax and cast out their rod and reel. They know how to take orders. And they know how to work together. Whether Peter and his friends were right or wrong, we cannot prove. Though I would personally think that they, that they could be wrong, but we don't know this. But for one thing, their efforts at night that night were in vain. Had they forgotten the Lord's words, for without me you can do nothing, as he said in John 15 and 5, they toiled all night and caught nothing. Certainly Peter must have remembered what happened two years before, when Jesus called him into full-time discipleship. On that occasion, Peter had fished all night and caught nothing, but Jesus had turned his failure into success. Perhaps Peter's impulsiveness and self-confidence were revealing themselves again. He was sincere and he worked hard, but there were no results. How like some believers in the service of the Lord. They, see, they sincerely believe they are doing God's will, but their, their labors are in vain. They are serving without direction from the Lord, so they cannot expect a blessing from the Lord. After his resurrection, Jesus was sometimes not recognized. So it was that his, his, his disciples at that moment didn't recognize him either. He appeared on the shore, and his, his question expected a negative reply. You have caught nothing. You, you have not caught anything to eat, have you? And their reply was brief and perhaps a bit embarrassed. No, said they. It was time for Jesus to take over the situation, just as he did when he called Peter into discipleship. He told them where to cast the net. They obeyed and caught 153 fish. The difference between success and failure was the width of the ship. We are never far from success when we, when we permit Jesus to give the orders. And we are usually closer to success than we realize. It was John who first realized that the stranger on the shore was their own Lord and Master. It was John who leaned on the Lord's breast at the table during the Last Supper and who stood by the cross when his Lord suffered and died. It is his love that recognizes the Lord and shares that good news with others. He proclaimed it's the Lord with charismatic impulsiveness. And Peter, of course, quickly put on his outer garment. Naked simply meant stripped for work. He probably wasn't skinny dipping, as I was was, uh, inferring earlier, and dove into the water. He wanted to get to Jesus. This is in contrast to Luke 5 and 8, where Peter told the Lord to depart from him. The other six men followed in the boat, bringing the net full of fish. In the experience recorded in Luke 5, the nets began to break, but in this experience, the nets held fast. Perhaps we can see in these two fishing miracles an illustration of how the Lord helps people fish for lost souls. All of our efforts are useless apart from his direction and blessing. During this present age, we do not know how many fish we have caught. And it often appears that nets are breaking. But at the end of the age, when we see the Lord, not one fish will be lost. And we will discover how many there are. Jesus called the disciples and us to be fishers of men. This phrase may have not been invented by Jesus. It had been used for many years by Greek and Roman teachers to be a fisher of men. 
And in that day, it meant to seek men and persuade them and catch them with, with the truth, how they would perceive it anyhow. A fisherman, of course, catches living fish, but when he gets them, they, they end up dying before people eat them. A Christian witness seeks to catch dead fish that, that are dead in their sins. And when he or she catches them, they are made alive in Christ. Now, we can understand why Jesus had so many fishermen in his disciple band. As we said before, fishermen know how to work. They have courage and faith to go out into the deep. They have much patience and persistence, and they will not quit. They know how to cooperate with one another, and they are skilled in using the equipment and the boat. And those are good examples for us to follow as we seek to catch fish for Jesus. We are indeed fishers of men, and there are fish all around us. If we obey his directions, we will catch the fish. We're also shepherds. And Jesus met his disciples on, a, on the beach where they were, had already prepared breakfast for them. This entire scene must have stirred Peter's memory and touched his conscience. Surely he was referring or recalling that first catch of fish and perhaps even the feeding of the 5,000 with bread and fish. It was at the close of the latter event that Peter had given his clear-cut witness of faith in Jesus. The fire of coals would certainly remind him of the fire at which he denied the Lord. It is good for us to remember the past. We must have something to confess. Three invitations stand out in John's gospel. Come and see in John 1 and 39. Come and drink in John 7 and 37. And come and dine in John 21 and 12. How loving of Jesus to feed Peter before he dealt with his spiritual needs. He gave Peter an opportunity to dry off, to get warm, satisfy his hunger, and enjoy personal fellowship. And this is a good example for us to follow as we care for God's people. Certainly the spiritual is more important than the physical, but caring for the physical can prepare the way towards spiritual ministry. And our Lord does not so emphasize the soul that he neglects the body. Peter and his Lord had already met privately and no doubt taken care of Peter's sins. But since Peter had denied the Lord publicly, it was important that there be a public restoration. Sin should be dealt with only to the extent that it is known. Private sins should be confessed in private and public sins in public. And since Peter had denied his Lord three times, Jesus had asked him three personal questions. He also encouraged him by giving him a threefold commission that restored Peter to his ministry. The key issue is Peter's love for the Lord Jesus, and that should be a key matter with us today. But what did the Lord mean by more than these? He was asking, do you love me more than you love these other men? Not likely because this had never been a problem among the disciples. They all loved the Lord Jesus supremely, even though they did not always obey him completely. Perhaps Jesus meant, do you love me more than you love these boats and nets and fish? Again, that's not likely, for there's no evidence that Peter ever desired to go back permanently into the fishing business. Fishing did not seem to compete with his Savior's love. The question probably meant, do you love me as you claimed more than these other disciples love me? Peter had boasted of his love for Christ and had even contrasted it with that of the other men. In John 13 and 37, he said, I will lay down my life for thy sake. In Matthew 26 and 33, it says, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. There is more than a hint in these boastful statements that Peter believed that he loved the Lord more than he did the other disciples. And many commentaries point out that, that in this conversation, two different words are used for love. In his questions in John 21, 15 through 16, our Lord used agape, which is a Greek word for the highest kind of love. It's a sacrificing love and a divine love. And Peter always used the Greek word philio, which is the love of a friend of a friend or fondness for another. 
In John 21 and 17, Jesus and Peter both used the Greek word philio, of course, which is translated. However, it is doubtful that we should make too much of an issue over this because the two words are often used interchangeably in the Gospel of John. In John 3.16, God's love for man is agape love. But in John 16 and 27, it is filio love. The father's love for his son is agape love. In John 3 and 35, it's, it's a filio kind of love. Christians, of course, are supposed to love one another. In John 13 and 34, this is agape love also. But in John 15 and 19, it's the filio love. And it would appear that John used these two words as synonyms in whatever fine distinction you may find between them. Now, we, before we judge Peter too severely, two other matters should be considered. When answering the first two questions, Peter did affirm his agape love when he said, Yes, Lord. The fact that Peter himself used filio did not negate this wholehearted assent to the Lord's use of agape. Second, Peter and Jesus undoubtedly spoke in Aramaic, even though the Holy Ghost recorded the conversation in common Greek. It might be unwise for us to press the Greek too far in this case. In spite of his faults and failures, Peter did indeed love the Lord, and he was not ashamed to admit it. The other men were certainly listening over Peter's shoulder and benefiting from this conversation. For they too had failed the Lord after boasting of their devotion. Peter had already confessed his sin and been forgiven. Now he was being restored to apostleship and leadership. The image, however, changes from that of the fisherman to that of the shepherd. Peter was to minister both as an evangelist, catching the fish, and as a pastor, shepherding the flock. It's unfortunate when we divorce these two because they should go together. Pastors ought to evangelize, as found in 2 Timothy 4 and 5, and then shepherd the people that they have won so that they mature in the Lord. Jesus gave three admonitions to Peter, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, and feed my sheep. Both the lambs and the more mature sheep need feeding and leading, and that's the task of a spiritual shepherd. It's an awesome responsibility to be a shepherd of God's flock. There are enemies that want to destroy the flock, and the shepherd must be alert and courageous. By nature, sheep are ignorant and defenseless, and they need the protection and guidance of a shepherd. While it's true that the Holy Ghost equips people to serve as shepherds and gives these people, these people to churches, it is also true that each individual Christian must help care for the flock. Each of us has a gift or gifts from the Lord, and we should use what he has given us to help protect and perfect the flock. Sheep are prone to wander, and we must look after each other and encourage each other. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, found in John 10 and 11. He's the great shepherd in Hebrews 13, 21 and 20 through 21, and the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5 and 4. Pastors, of course, are under-shepherds who must obey him as they minister to the flock. The most important thing a pastor can do is to love Jesus. If he truly loves Jesus, the pastor will also love his sheep and tenderly care for them. The Greek word for sheep at the end of John 21 and 17 means dear sheep. Our, our Lord's sheep are dear to him, and he wants to minister and love them personally. A pastor who loves the flock will serve it faithfully no matter what the cost. And I'm thankful we have a pastor here that does that as well. Praise the Lord. Didn't he do a wonderful job? As always, praise God. He did a wonderful job. Yes, and uh, I'm to pick up in verse 15. Uh, John 15, if you'll stand with me, I'll read. John 15, or John chapter 21 and verse 15. Praise God. And so when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith, Feed my lambs. 
He saith in him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my sheep. 17. And he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. You may be seated. Praise God. As Brother Tim Williams said, they spoke in Aramaic, but they, but the Bible was written in the Greek language. The Greek language is one of the most wonderful languages. In the English language today, we have the word run, the word run, R-U-N. There are 27 reasons for using the word run. You run, a car is running, uh, a person is running, my nose is running, you can have 27 different reasons for the word run. And so uh, young people today will say to uh, their friends, they'll say, I love you. And I used to tease my kids. I'd say, you love them? Yeah. What is their name? I don't know. (laughs) You love them and you don't know their name? Um, Praise God. And uh, so, uh, you know, we use these words and... Uh, we use them, and, and the, the English language is just really chopped up. It just really is. And so when I say to uh, Brother Tim Williams, I love you, and when I say to my wife, I love you, obviously those are two different types of love. In the Greek language, they use different words for that. The word that I would say, I love you, to my wife would be, I agape you. And then if I was to say it to Tim, I would say, I would aphelio you. And so if I was to say it to my children, it would be another type of word. And that is the wonderful thing about the King James Bible today. And that is a wonderful thing about translating from the Greek into English was because they could look at a particular word in a sentence, and like the word run, if you saw the word run, you didn't know if somebody's nose was running or a dog was running. But in that day, if a dog was running, they used a specific word for that. If a nose was running, they used a specific word for that. They had which was the, the endings of every word, first person, singular, second person, sing, uh, plural, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, there, was, there was these, the Greek, the Greek Bible that was written was, was written in the most perfect time. Of course, God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? And so he had the Greek Bible written in the Greek time because it was the best language to write the Bible because in years to come when it was translated, the words would have been able to be able to be translated and used. So... In the, uh, in, the, in the scriptures that I just read to you, uh, and, and there's no big problem with it, but uh, if you understood the Greek, um, I only had one year of Greek, but if you understand the Greek language, uh, you will understand that there is a little bit more of a deeper meaning or a more of a precise meaning. We're all right today with the King James Bible because... It pretty much covers it as best as it could. But if you wanted to go a little deeper and get into the Greek, you'll find out. So I rewrote this so that you might understand a little bit more about how it goes. It's, so here it goes. It says, so when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I like thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I like thee. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, son of Jonas, like thou me more than these? 
And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I like thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. So you can understand, Jesus says, You love me. Peter says, You know what, Lord? I, I, I like thee. Peter had just denied Christ. Peter had just stood up and said to Christ, No matter what happens, I will die with you. I will go to the cross with you. I will this and I will that. And I will this and I will that. And he had just went through the denial. It's amazing to me. Think about this. It's amazing to me that, three, that Peter denied Christ three times. Three times he was asked, aren't you with him? No. Aren't you part of his disciples? No. Aren't you? <clears throat> now, it almost seems to me like Christ was resetting Peter because he reset him by asking him three times, you lovest thou me more than all these. Now, when Jesus said to Peter, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times, he corrected Peter when Peter answered him. He never corrected Peter when Peter answered him with this one. When he said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? You know I like you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? You know I like you, Lord. Peter, do you like me? And he was grieved because he said that, and he said, Lord, you know that I like thee. Jesus never corrected Peter because here's the deal. You ready for this? And that is, before Peter did not reveal his heart, he said, I'll go with you, I'll die with you, all, the, all, all of these <clears throat> abandon you. I will not abandon you. And when Peter went through the fall of uh, abandoning Christ and denying him that he ever knew him, and he came out of that, Peter knew his heart better. And when Jesus said to him, do you love me? He did not stand before he would have stood up and said, yes, I love you. I will always love you. I will always be there. I will always this, always that. And, Peter, and Jesus <clears throat> before corrected him and said, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. You don't know your heart, Peter. But now that Peter has gone through the Christian burn, <clears throat> Peter now has a better knowing of his heart. You see, when we think we're strong, we're actually weak. And when we find out we're weak, we're actually strong. <clears throat> Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. Paul was struggling with his thorn in the flesh. He said, My grace is sufficient for me. For in my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, it's amazing that in a Christian state, a Christian in their weakness can be strong. It's amazing. You'd think that if he was standing there with muscles and everything else, he would be strong. You'd think if when Christ was standing before Pilate, if he had angels all around him, then he would be strong. But he didn't. He stood there, amen, in submission to all of that, but in that submission... He was strong. Job, when he suffered like he did, he was strong. When you go through your test and when you go through your trials, realize, praise God, spiritually, maybe not physically, maybe not in your mind, but spiritually, there's your strength. You will be strong. Because Paul said here, he said, in my perfect... My, my, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When you go to go through a trial, when you go to go through a test, when you go to go through a hard time, you need to tell yourself in the Holy Ghost, this is where I'm strong. 
because this is where the Holy Ghost kicks in and helps me. You see, Peter, whenever he stood and before and, and he said to Christ, he said, I don't care if the rest of them deny thee. I'll stand for you. I'll never, uh, I'll never uh, 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 turn my back on you. I will never, praise God, deny thee that I know you. He was in his own strength. And because he was in his own strength, amen, he could only stand on his own strength. But now, amen, he is standing with the fact that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to do this through Christ. Praise God. If, if, you, if we think that we're going to live for God on our own strength, we're crazy. We have to have God help us. We need Christ to be with us. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Not I, but Christ that liveth within me. Peter tried to live at the first part upon his own strength. <clears throat> Excuse me tonight. But, now he says, Lord, thou knowest that I like thee. Because if I would have loved thee, I would have been able to stand up with thee. But I didn't love thee. There was no way that Peter could love him. <clears throat> Peter's a human being. There's no way you and I can love. We're human beings. The only way you can love is to love through the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> That's why one of the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, generous, is, is, is love. The Holy Ghost is the thing that makes me love. I can't love. The Holy Ghost could love. Peter would have been denied if he would have said, I love you, Lord. Jesus would have had to correct him. Because there's no way he could correct him. It wasn't until he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost that he could do on the day of Pentecost what he couldn't do on uh, the day that they asked him, are you his disciples? Would you get me something to drink? <coughs> and so he and so the uh, <coughs> and I am so sorry I don't know what is wrong with my throat but every time I go to preach or teach um, I I struggle with this I'm not fevered or anything I'm not sick I'm not weak or anything but I might have to have my check th throat checked but every time I go to preach or teach my throat just gets messed up. But anyways, <clears throat> okay, let's get back into it. Cause... So before Christ's crucifixion, Peter felt like he would die for him. But now he is, praise God, understands. He, but after his denial, he understands, praise God. But you see, because of that, Peter's better off. So here's what I want to address today. I want to address the fact that there are times when, when you go through, thank you, sir. There are times when you go through uh, a trial or a tribulation. There's times when, when you, boy, that's a whole lot better. There's times when you go through a trial or a tribulation. There's times when you go through a test. There's times when you mess up. You really screw up. And screwing up's a good thing. It really is. When you screw up, you know how, praise God, how, how to get straightened up. Peter was a whole lot better because before he fell like he fell, he thought he had it all together. He, he, and, and Jesus couldn't help him. He wasn't going to take help from Jesus. He, you know, the Lord says, <clears throat> you're going to deny me. Before the cock crows, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, no, I'm not. I'm going to stand. I'm going to do it. You watch me. I'm going to get there. You know, they say when, when, when uh, you have a spy, if they train a spy, one of the things they don't want a spy to feel like, and that is that he would never give up information. 
Because if he thinks he'll never give up information, he's weak and will give up information. Praise God. And when a person thinks, I'm so strong that I can do it, then they're in trouble. They're better off understanding the weakness of it all. Peter would have been better understanding the weakness of it all. Jesus, I might not be able to stand. But if I can't stand, I need to hold your hand. That's what Peter should have done. But you see, Peter said, I'm going out here and do it on my own, Lord. That's why he pulled that sword out. I'm going to take care of it myself. Praise the Lord. And so, when you fall, when you fail, when you mess up, it's a good thing. People say, I should never make mistakes. No, you should try not to make mistakes. But if you make mistakes, praise God, uh, you know, it's a good thing because you learn better. If I'm practicing my bow, the more I shoot and the more I miss, praise God, it's a good thing. Because each time that I practice, I'll get better at it. And Peter, praise God, was going to get better at this. And so in my weaknesses, when you become very weak, when you get down and when you get out and when you feel you're weak, have you ever had something happen to you that you felt like, I am just numb right now? I am just so numb. Praise God. That's when you call about you call on the Lord. That's when you reach out to the Lord for it. Praise God. Amen. <clears throat> you see, before Peter took Jesus, I'm sorry, Peter, before they took Jesus, was so wrapped up in himself <clears throat> that he did not even know his own heart. He didn't know his own heart. Because when Peter said he would die with Jesus, Jesus had told him, no, you're not. Before the cock crows, you're going to deny me thrice. Now when Jesus asked Peter, lovest thou me? Peter knew his heart. He said, Lord, you know that I like you. You know, you just know. We always need to be honest and upfront with the Lord. It's never good to hide our problems. I tell the Lord all the time stuff I'm struggling with. I said, Lord, you know who I'm struggling with that. You know that that bothers me. You know that I can't seem to overcome that. I'm not going to hide it to you, Lord. I'm not going to pretend like it's not happening. I'm not going to pretend like I'm perfect, Lord. I just, I know that I've got that problem. We need to bring our problems to the Lord. He wants, and if you're frustrated with God, let him know you're frustrated. I don't understand that, God. Praise the Lord. One of the things I'm praying about doing is a a little bit on Christian communication. And one of the things that's just going to be so much fun is, and that is you might ask somebody a question, you know, would you mind if I would bring that over Friday night? Well, I guess that'll do. And you're like... Okay, will it do or not do? You, you love people like that. You know, well, I guess I'll make a do. And so that's what we're going to do? You know, we need to come right out and say, you know, that's not going to cut it. Or say yes, and then later, you know, gripe about it. You've got to, God wants to know. God already knows how you feel. Praise God. And you need to let him know how you feel. Praise God. Jesus, or Peter could have answered Jesus in the wrong way, but he didn't. Peter was up front with the Lord. Lord, you know, you, you know with the facts. <clears throat> I, I would not <coughs> have told that damsel. <clears throat> I would have not told that damsel that, uh, that I didn't know you if I would have loved you. Let's go on to verse 18. <clears throat> verse 18. And I say unto you, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whether thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, and thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, 
and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whether thou wouldest not. Verse 19. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had thus spoken, he saith unto him, follow me. Praise God. Jesus told Peter, he said, you know, when you were young, when you are young, he said, you're going to be able to go wherever you want to go. But there's going to come a day when they're going to take you to where you probably won't want to go or you, you're not going to want to go. You know, I, I find this amazing because for 35 years later, <clears throat> history tells us that Peter lived. And there were times when Peter was in prison. And Peter, um, Peter was in prison, and uh, when he was in prison, uh, he probably sat there and looked at the rest of the disciples, looked at John or something, and said, you know, we're getting out of here. I'm not dying. I'm not going to die, because Jesus told me that I'm going to live to be old. Can you imagine that? Because history tells us, that Peter was crucified at Rome, it was approximately 34 years after he had just had this relationship with Jesus. And he was crucified with his head down, upside down. Uh, History tells us that Peter said, and I'm not sure if it's true, but we know he was crucified upside down, but they wanted to crucify him upright, and he said, you know, my Lord was crucified upright, and I don't deserve to die like my Lord did. So if you'll just hang me upside down. Clemens, which is a historian, says that he was led to the crucifixion with his wife. And he sustained her in the sufferings. Now that would have been the hardest thing for me. I I could go to death, but don't. uh, it would just be tough for me to take my wife with me or for my wife to go with me. And he uh, exhorted her during her sufferings. And he reminded her of the example of the Lord. He said, now remember what the Lord had done. And verse 20 says, Then Peter turned about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved. Of course, we know this is John the Baptist, which, I'm sorry, not John the Baptist, John the Beloved, which is written, this book that we're reading, the book of John, following which also leaned on the breast at supper and said unto him, Lord, which, uh, which is he that betrayeth thee? So it was the John that's when Judas and said betrayed him. Peter seeing him and saith, Lord, and what shall this man do? That's amazing to me. Jesus saith unto him, if I, if, if I will that he tarry or live till I come, till the rapture, what is that to thee? Follow me. Now, Jesus just told Peter, he said, you're going to be young. He said, you're going to get real old. He said, they're going to take you. You're going to have a violent death. You're going to go to a death that's violent. So he turns back, and he sees John the Baptist. And he turns, and he says to the Lord, he said, Lord, what's his death going to be like? Now, there's many thoughts that came through my mind when I was just picturing the situation. And there's several ways that Peter could have looked at it. And he probably thought, well, my death's going to be violent. Is John's death going to be violent? Praise God. He probably, knowing Peter, he probably hoped not. Lord, I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to die a very violent death. I hope that John doesn't die that kind of a violent death. And, and then on top of that, Peter probably thought, you know what? John never denied Christ. John never do, did any of that. And so... John's probably not going to have a violent death. The thing about life to me, which is amazing, and that is we pretty much, God puts us into this world, and we pretty much set our own situation. John was very loving, very caring. He was just very much all there. He was right there at the thing of feet of Jesus. Peter was the kind of guy that got up, and got in their face and said, this is that which was spoken of the prophet Joel. In the last days I will pour up my spirit. Peter was the one that denied Christ. Peter was the one that had, that, and I, I feel that sometimes in our life, we set our own situations. 
we, if, if whatever we do in life, it sets our own situations. We make our own destiny in a way. Peter <clears throat> was, his situation uh, set him into, a <clears throat> into an area where he had a violent, violent death. When you study the lives of many people, and you see the kind of lives they live, and then the kind of lives they die, they die at, or the kind of things that they go through, you realize uh, it, the, the, some people call it karma, and I don't believe it's karma, but uh, some people call it karma, uh, but I call it, I call it the laws of God. Uh, you, sow, you reap what you sow. Praise God. People reap what they sow. Peter... Uh, sowed a, a very, very uh, kind of uh, uh, rough life. John the Baptist, or John the Beloved didn't, praise God. And so when Peter turned and he said to the Lord, he said, there's John, what kind of death is he going to have? And Jesus said, hey, if he lives until I come, that's no business of yours. And that's another point I think we ought to make. Why is it that we compare ourselves with each other so much? You know, um, why is it that we, you know, well, they seem to get all the breaks and I don't get the breaks. Hey, be happy for what you got. Be happy for where you are. Be happy for what God has given you. Praise the Lord. You know, uh, I raised four children. And if my children, <clears throat> if my children would say to me, you know, you think the other is the favorite, I would say, yeah, I do. They are the favorite. And there for the longest time, my three boys, when one of them would do something to me, just f- fun or whatever, I would say, well, now there you go. Your brother's now my favorite. You just fixed it. <clears throat> yep, you just fixed it. Amen. Your brother's my favorite. And, uh, and so they, we always do that, you know, the favorite, the favorite, the favorite, the favorite. And we, we do that. We favorite, we favorite. And, and Peter's like, well, well what's John's deal going to be? And Jesus is like, hey, look, my situation with John is me and John. Your situation is me and you. You have no business with what I'm going to do with John. If I let him live till the rapture takes place, that's none of your business. So many times in our life, we get into our brother's business, and God has to continue to tell us. Do you ever have, those of you that had more than one child, and you're correcting your child, and before you know it, his brother or sister is in there correcting him too? And you have to say, hey, whoa, 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 wait a minute, back off, you're not the parent here. You know? And, um, And so... Amen. And so, and Pete, so Peter turned and said, John, jo- Lord, what about John? And, and, and the Lord said, look, John is none of your business. Praise God. Pete, Jesus told Peter, he said, if it see fit that John should live until I come again, what's that to you? And so then they got this in their mind that John is going to live until the Lord comes. And so at the end of this, chapter, John states, hey, I need to make some things straight, and this is one of them. Jesus didn't mean that. Praise God. It is remarkable that John was the last of the apostles, that he lived to nearly uh, the close of the first century, and then he died a very peaceful death at Ephesus. He was the only one that we know of of the apostles who did not suffer martyrism. He's the only one that, but if you look at his life, he, man, he was always loving, and he was always caring, and he was always giving. He was always at the, at the, uh, at the breast of Jesus, you know, loving and taking care of him. Praise God. Verse 23 says, Then went this saying abroad among the brethren, that the disciples should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, he shall not die. But if thou wilt tarry till I come, what is that to thee? If he he wouldn't die, what is it to you? This is the disciple which testifieth of these things, 
and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they should be written, every one of them, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Uh, that should be written. <clears throat> you see, the gospel uh, contains in itself the clearest proof of uh, inspiration. The gospel is the clearest proof of inspiration. Amen. That the, the Bible isn't the inspired word of God. It was written by fishermen. Brother Tim Williams talked about that. Fishermen of Galilee wrote, the, wrote most of the Bible. Praise God. And uh, there are many things in it. It is written many years after the ascension of Christ. And so John was written many years after the ascension of Christ. Now, I'm going <clears> to <throat> I'm gonna close here tonight, but I do have a saying. And I think this saying is really good. And so I'll quote it to you. And it goes like this. If you will carry your Bible when you are young, it will carry you when you are old. If you carry your Bible when you are young, it will carry you when you are old. Praise God. I don't know about you, but as a young person, I'm 61 now, but as a young person, I live the Word of God, walk the Word of God, and today in my mind, amen, I have the Word of God there, and I have the things of God, and I've got the, the thoughts of God and the ideas of God, and it's just so pleasant, amen, to be able to have those things rolling around up into my mind and carrying me along. But that was, Brother Tim Williams and I just went through with you on Wednesday nights. We've gone through the whole book of John. Amen. And we were able to cover that all. Praise the Lord. Didn't Brother Tim Williams do a wonderful job, though? Amen. More and more and more as he taught, I thought, he could, he's getting better and better and better and better. He was. Good job. Let's all stand. <clears throat>